This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. Welcome to Retail Retold, everyone. Today, I'm excited to announce I am joined by Tom McGee. Tom is the president and CEO of ICSE. Before ICSE, Tom was vice chairman at Deloitte. Many of you know him. Uh, he speaks at many of the ICSE events. I'm excited for him to be here. Welcome to the show, Tom. Hi, Chris. Great to be with you. Great to be with you as well. So, Tom, I've been looking forward to this. And, um, you know, we have a lot of ICSE members who listen to this. So why don't we start off and tell a little bit, tell the audience a little bit more about who you are and what you do. Well, sure. So obviously, uh, you know, as you mentioned, I'm the CEO of ICSC. And I prior to that, I spent uh, 26 years at Deloitte. I've been at ICSC now for uh, a little over eight years, which has gone by really, really quickly. Um, from a uh, from a personal perspective, I'm I'm married to my high school sweetheart, and I have two wonderful daughters, uh, Kelsey and Emma, 26 and 23. Uh, Kelsey lives in California, and is in the film industry as a director, and uh, Emma uh, works uh, in the East Village of New York uh, in the financial industry. Uh, you know, being the CEO of ICSC, it's a wonderful role. Um, first of all, I, I think the industry is. Uh, you know, dynamic. When I joined ICSC, I hadn't, I knew it was an industry that was uh, in transition and uh, and going through a lot of change, but I had no idea I'd be living through the, re- the so-called retail apocalypse uh, and then the pandemic uh, and now the emergence out of the pandemic. And so there's been a whole host of challenges and uh, during that period of time. And quite frankly, you know, while some folks may think that is, um, you know, I might regret uh, that I, I actually embrace, you know, the challenges uh, and have enjoyed, you know, living through that and working with members, uh, working with the executive board and the chair. I've had great chairs throughout that period of time, great executive board members, Adam uh, being one of them, uh, who you're, is your CEO at DLC. I, I would say that, um, you know, a lot of what I do on a day-to-day basis has been dealing with a number of those challenges, whether it's, whether it's talking about the narrative and the meat with the media uh, and trying to set the facts straight, whether it's been going out uh, with our members. Uh, and as you said, I talk at a whole host of, of member events uh, and ICSC is a business, right? I mean, we, you know, we have over a hundred events that we host uh, each year. Uh, there's a lot that goes through that. And so there's a lot of challenges that come up in the in the context of that that needs to be dealt with, just like in any business on a day to day basis. I spent an awful lot of time in Washington, D.C., also dealing with public uh, advocacy related items. And this year, one of the things I really have wanted to do, I've spent a significant amount of time traveling out to member uh, organizations and, and meeting with member companies. Uh, I haven't been out to DLC because I've been spending most of my time outside of the New York area. I wanted to get out of, of Tri-State uh, and go outside um, where I sit and really talk to member companies. And so I've probably been to 35 or so uh, member companies this year and talked to um, outside of events. I'm not talking about going to events and so forth, going to companies and sitting down and 
uh, talking to member CEOs and understanding what's happening in their business, what their perspective on the industry is, um, you know, where they think the challenges and the opportunities are, uh, talking about the capital markets. Um, and of course, this past year, this has been a year where there's been, um, you know, a lot of different things have happened over the course of just the 10 months of this year. And, you know, perceptions of where we are as an industry have uh, have evolved from what I might have heard in January to what I might have heard, you know, uh, two weeks ago. Um, and so I spent a lot of time doing that, uh, doing that as well. So it's a dynamic role. Um, we're a service organization at our that's what we are. We serve our members. And so I try to spend a lot of time with members and uh, hearing from them and understanding what's happening in their business. So when you're meeting with members, what are they telling you right now? Well, I think, you know, I think it's, in a, in, you and I, you know, had a little bit of this conversation before, before we got on. I mean, I think it's a, what's the old saying, a tale of two cities. So I think from a, from a, you know, a leasing perspective, uh, the industry's at a really good place, right? Occupancy is super strong. The demand for space is, uh, is super strong. Um, you know, there's, there hasn't really been a lot of new supply uh, put uh, on the, in the market over the, really since the great financial crisis over the last 15 years or so. So I think, you know, generally speaking, demand for space and 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 leasing demand is is exceptionally strong right now if you're trying to buy or sell a property or trying to refinance you know that's different um because you know the capital markets uh have uh have been challenged over the course of the last really over the course of the last 18 to 24 months and you've just seen this rapid acceleration uh in interest rates and and I have a lot of gray. Well, if, if I had a lot of hair on my head, it would be gray. And so I remember an environment. I remember an environment where you know the interest rates we have today are really, from an historical perspective, not all that high. But what has happened is that acceleration in rates in such a short period of time has been so dramatic that market hasn't um, hasn't digested that change in rate environment really have kind of a mismatch of buyers and and disvaluations. So Tom, you're going to all these members. Why don't you tell me, what are the members telling you? Well, I think it's a, you know, it's a little bit of a tale of two cities as the old saying goes, Uh, you know, on, on one hand, uh, occupancy has really recovered uh, since the great, since the pandemic, you know, leasing demand is super strong. Uh, you know, there's really been no net new supply uh, put on the market over the course of the last 15 years since the great financial crisis. I'll give you, a, I'll give you a couple stats as it relates to that. You know, G, retail sales have almost doubled since the great financial crisis. Uh, U.S. GDP has grown by almost 10 percent. Uh, our, our U.S. population has grown by almost 10 percent. You know, U.S. GDP has grown by you know 30 plus percent over that period of time. Shopping General Center GLA is almost unchanged uh, since that point in time at a macro level. So there might, there might be individual markets that have had, you know, net increases, but there's been a lot of other places where, um, you know, GLA has been taken offline. And so you have an exceptional amount of demand for space while you really have had no net new supply put on as retailers are looking to grow on one hand and also looking to use, 
you know, space for multiple purposes. You know, stores are not just used for traditional shopping. They're used really in many cases as many fulfillment centers to fulfill online orders. So occupancy leasing, you know, strong, generally speaking. Uh, some exceptions to that, depending on the company, but generally speaking, strong. If you're trying to buy or sell a property, you're trying to refinance a property, that's more challenging uh, for sure, given the you know, the change in uh, the rate environment over a very, you know, short period of time. I I have gray hair. If I had hair, I, my hair would be gray. Uh, and so I, I remember um, very vividly, you know, uh, a different kind of rate environment in the 80s and the 90s and, uh, and even in the early 2000s. And really, um, you know, these rates are not, from a historical perspective, exceptionally high. They're somewhat at kind of historic norms, but they're certainly high relative to what we've experienced over the most recent past. And what really has happened is you've had such a rapid acceleration of rates in such a short period of time. And so expectations of buyers and sellers are mismatched. People don't know how to value. Obviously, there's the whole impact on the banking system. Uh, and, you know, and obviously we've seen the demise of some regional uh, banks and and so all of that has put pressure on the system. And so if you're trying to refinance, if you're trying to sell, uh, there's a whole that's that's a much more challenging environment. So I think those are the two general trends from a macro perspective. Leasing demand strong occupancies recovering uh, very nicely uh, from uh, the, the impact of the pandemic. But, you know, obviously, capital market activity, you know, as we all know, has has really uh, been challenged over the course of the last year plus. For sure. That, that, that leads us into the, the next piece. We mentioned that leasing demand and retailers demand is strong. And, and you spend a lot of time talking to a lot of different organizations that are members, some that are not really aggregating the data to really inform your membership as well as the media. And I think that brings us to, you know, we're at this time of year that's really impactful to the retail industry, this holiday shopping. What are the consumer, what is the consumer shopping plans as we head into the holiday season? Yeah, we expect a, you know, a, a positive and solid uh, holiday shopping season. So our forecast is for 3.8% retail growth. Um, you know, not quite as strong as last year, uh, but still positive. I mean, the consumer has been really, really resilient um, throughout through the face of higher inflation and higher rates. And so we expect that to continue during the holiday season. Uh, food and beverage will grow uh, at a more rapid rate than that, 7.6% growth. Um, and, you know, that's really been the case even throughout the last year and a half or so. Food and beverage growth rates have, have been in excess of retail growth rates. And so we expect that to continue over the course of the holiday uh, season. We define the holiday uh, as October through December, so the last quarter of the year. Uh, so uh, $1.6 trillion will be spent. And the reason we do that is because, you know, the holiday season has just, it's just become longer. I mean, people shop over a longer period of time. And so while the iconic days of, you know, Black Friday and Super Saturday and so forth are still really important and so forth, they're important as they, from a symbolic standpoint, uh, yes, they're important operationally, but they're not as important as they once were. People spend over a longer period of time. In fact, you know, one out of every uh, four folks that responded to our survey had already started shopping for the holiday 
in August. So they've done some holiday shopping as far back as into the summer. And one of the reasons is because they're really concerned about inflation. So, you know, inflation is, is front and center in the consumer's mind. Um, so while they're going to continue to spend, they're looking to take advantage of discounts. If they see something that's priced at what they think is a good price, they're going to hop on it right away and not delay uh, to the end. Some folks might delay to the end. That's part procrastinate. Um, I'm probably being one of them. That's just a personal flaw, not a, not, not a good shopping habit. But um, but consumers in general are going to, you know, it's a longer holiday season. They're going to hop on discounts. They're concerned around inflation, but they're going to continue to spend. The consumer's been super resilient. Well, it, it's been remarkable, the, the consumer. And, you know, I, I wonder... Have you guys forecasted what you think happens going into the beginning of 2024 yet? We have, and we will do that um, as we get in closer to the end of the year. We always put an annual forecast out. Um, you know, my expectation would be that, uh, you know, absent a whole lot of things that, that you know, could could happen. Um, we've learned to expect the unexpected uh, in the world, as, as, you, as you know. Um, but as long as the employment you know, situation continues to be as strong as it is, um, that the consumer will likely continue to be resilient. Um, you know, we're at historically low uh, unemployment levels and uh, that creates a level of some stability and consumer confidence, although we're seeing, starting to see signs of that eroding, even in the most recent um, uh, signs that came out in the last couple of days. But generally speaking, if the employment uh, if the employment market continues to be strong, the consumer will be relatively resilient. So I would expect to see positive retail sales next year as well. I, I don't, I couldn't comment in regards to what percentage that is and so forth yet, but strong employment market usually means a resilient consumer. For sure. I'm with you there. You mentioned Black Friday and Super Saturday. Is Black Friday going to be higher this year than it was last year? Just and do people still measure this? I think are, are people still measuring like how was our Black Friday this year to last year? Does the street care? Do retailers care? I think symbolically, uh, it, it's still important. You know, I, I I do a lot of media at this time of the year, as you, as you know, and. Uh, the first question I always get asked is, what's traffic like? You know, I'll do I'll do a bunch of media on Friday, um, on Black Friday, and people will say, what are the crowds like at the stores? And they'll show, and they will take whatever uh, video they have of whatever shopping center they were at, and they will extrapolate that to, you know, the entire United States and say, well, the crowds are up or down from last year and so forth. So I think symbolically it still means something. Um uh, but it is not as it's certainly not as meaningful as it once was from the performance, from the financial performance of the the industry back to that concept that it's just a longer holiday season now. And there's just and and uh, and, and as you see, many retailers have closed their stores even on Thanksgiving because they want to give their, you know, uh, their uh, teammates a chance to have the day off and so forth. So still important. Uh but not what it once was, not ten, not as important as it was 10 years ago. The Before you mentioned like this consumer, they're concerned about inflation. So that maybe they were even buying Christmas presents in the, in the summer. That's a very baby boomer mentality. 
<laughs> um, you know, I, you know, I think millennials and Gen Z have been purchasing like that, nearly like the baby boomers had been purchasing like that, right? You know, I remember that my, you know, my grandmother would be asking what we want for Christmas in in July, and I'd be like, what? What's going on here? <laughs> uh, so, but you mentioned inflation, and so I. One of the things to get to that 3.8%, are retailers going to have to be very promotional? Are we, and, and you guys looked at that, I guess is my question, or, or are, are they going to be able to maintain price? You know, I think that depends on the retailer. I think that generally speaking, we're, uh, you know, in the holiday season, there's always going to be a level of promotion and discount, right? I mean, that's just the nature of what happens. Um, but I think in an inflationary environment, you know, you're probably not going to see the level of discounting and promotions you've seen in the past for that's kind of just the def, you know, just because of the definition of inflation. Right. So I don't expect to I don't expect this to be a heavy promotion discount kind of uh, season, but there will be promotions and discounts because that's the nature of of, you know, the holiday season in a way to kind of entice consumers etc one thing you did say by the way i just just it's not related to the holiday but we did do a gen z um study on gen z's and um you, you know if, if for any of the icsc you know membership that's listening and so forth you're interested to go on our website i mean we did a lot of promotion around this i did a lot of media around it you know gen z is an interesting um you know a very interesting demographic group and and uh, I'm very bullish on Gen Z. Um, I really think they're, um, you know, I think it's a fascinating uh, generation, very hardworking, um, different than my generation, uh, for sure. But, uh, but very pragmatic and financially responsible. And they are price conscious, you know, and I think one of the reasons is they saw their, you know, they saw their parents go through the, you know, the financial crisis, and they've, they've lived through the pandemic and so forth. And so, um, you know, I wouldn't. I, I, Gen Z is a, a very pragmatic, financially responsible kind of generation. At least the early signs of that are uh, around that. So they might have shopped earlier. We didn't ask the specifics around the generation, but I wouldn't be surprised if you saw some Gen Zs out there looking for discounts early because they are uh, are, are pretty financially prudent. Fair enough. Fair enough. I I I hadn't looked at it that way. I've seen a lot of the media and the content you guys have put around Gen Z. And I think it is a generation to be excited about. Uh, I haven't connected the dots to that, but uh, appreciate those <laughs> insights for sure. So one of the things you said that I think is interesting and maybe people don't consider when they're thinking about holiday shopping is you mentioned this food and beverage up. So why is food and beverage going to be up in the holiday season? And, and why does that matter? Well, I mean, obviously, you know, increasing number of tenants in shopping centers are RF and B related. So, um, you know, it drives traffic to shopping centers and that in turn drives traffic to retailers and so forth. So it's a virtuous circle. So I think that that it matters from that perspective. But, you know, post pandemic, there's been tremendous growth in F and B. And I think some of it is just we were you know, we weren't able to do some of that for a period of time during the pandemic. And a, and a good portion of that is stock. Um, and so that behavior of of going out to eat, um, you know, has stuck. And then you throw the holiday season in there. And during the holidays, that's when folks get together for, you know, 
get togethers with family and friends and work colleagues and so forth. And, and so last year it was even greater. Of course, that was really the first year that from the pandemic that you could go back to kind of business as usual as it related to that. And I think you're continuing to see that, that, that happened this year. So, you know, again, I think it's all part of uh, the consumers being resilient, uh, strong employment market. This is the time of the year when people get together and celebrate. Uh, and there's still that pent up, uh, look, we couldn't do it for two years and we're still living on, you know, the, the excitement of being able to get back together. I think you throw all that in the mix. And there's a lot of new great concepts out there too. I mean, a lot of good new restaurant and F&B concepts that, that exist. Yeah, sure. There's a lot of new F&B concepts. And I think, you know, feels like maybe it is the pandemic that, you know, life revolving around food and beverage is just continuing to grow, whether that's through the holiday season, whether that's through date night, whether that's through, you know, through any of a lot of the concepts that we're seeing, whether it's a top golf or a new pickleball or trying to create food and beverage around people want food and beverage around uh, the experiences that they're doing. So uh, I think it's also good. Yeah. And well, food at the center of almost anything is usually good. You know, good food is a way to celebrate and share, you know, positivity with each other. So for sure. All right. All right. So, I think that's a uh, that's a pretty good what I would call uh, summation of what's going on holiday. You know, for a while though, we've had this narrative about physical retail, and we heard things like retail apocalypse. And to me, I think that's the tailwind. I think we've got through that, right? I think it's everyone's maybe not everyone, and you could tell us. But it feels like the world is starting to turn that like, hey, physical retail is not going away. And not only is it not going away, it's important to the ecosystem of goods and services being sold. Um, so to that end, how important is the role of physical retail today? Well, it's hugely important, right? I mean, retail is really the glue. You know, it's, it's, it's where people build community. Um, you know, in so many ways are you know, our industry is really um, the community centers uh, that, um, you know, that bring life to communities. And so I think, I just think from a social perspective, um, it is incredibly, incredibly important. And then you talk about all the, you know, the financial uh, impact and economic impact as it relates to the generation of sales tax and property taxes that fund, you know, all the first responders and public services and so forth you know, which is enormously important. We're the largest source of those types of local tax dollars that go into local communities. And so it's uh, it's enormously important. I, and I do think you're right. I think, uh, you know, retail for so long was the, you know, was the the sector within the commercial real estate space that, that nobody wanted to touch. And it was, you know, it was, uh, it's, it's, it's past was, uh, was a lot greater than its future and et cetera, et cetera. And I think that narrative has changed for sure. And people, you know, realize, um, the importance of the sector and the revitalization of the sector. You know, I, I, am. Um, I think in so many ways, the pandemic was so challenging and difficult. Um, but it, 
if you would have imagined that coming out of the pandemic, you know, when we're in the midst of the pandemic, you know, people couldn't go shopping in many cases for a long period of time or it was discouraged for a long period of time. And certainly food and beverage with getting together in restaurants and so was discouraged. And so we had this sense of, oh, my goodness, uh, you know, the industry was already under stress. And now look at the stress we're under. And now you fast forward and the industry is in a much stronger place today than it was when it went into the pandemic, you know, and I, and it accelerated so many changes that, you know, that were, that, that needed to take place. Um, and so now you're at an occupancy that is back to pre-pandemic levels. Um, it, it, leasing demand, as I mentioned, is exceptionally strong. And so uh, I think that we're, uh, we're at a very good place. And there's other sectors in commercial real estate that are being much more challenged. There certainly are. I think, what, I think what the market, whether it's the media, Wall Street, I think what they were looking for is we had to prove our case to them that retail wasn't going away. And I think the as, as things come out and came out, like the halo effect that ICSC put out, uh, as things came out that we were fulfilling from store, as things came out like the cost of customer acquisition in e-commerce, as digitally native brands started opening stores, as the lack of supply continued to be, you know, stay or the, the supply muted for new construction in retail space. All these factors have led to pretty robust retail performance. And I think that was the proof that Wall Street and the media and all other pundits really needed to see to believe in retail. And I think what happened is we proved it. You know, the when you are when you're in when you are not able to go to a physical store because of government restrictions, yet majority of retail sales are still happening at a physical store. It's quite remarkable, and I think that really uh, shed light on how strong and how important physical retail is for well, America. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Look, I mean, we know the ceiling, right? We know the ceiling because we lived through it in the in the pandemic, and 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 we know people wanted to come back and shop too. So, and we've seen that and experienced that. And so I, I, you're absolutely right. I agree with everything you said. And, and in regards to Halo, you know, which Halo studied, you know, we did Halo, a, a first Halo report, then a second Halo report. And that was really the studying of the convergence of the physical and, and digital world and really the interdependency upon stores and online shopping and online shopping and stores. And, and we are going to be releasing a, a, another Halo report uh, in about a month. Uh, so that'll come out that's going to study that even more in this post pandemic world. And, and the real, the real point is like what we've seen is that if you have a store in a, in a market that generally you open up a store that generally positively impacts online sales. Um, and of course you get the, uh, you get the physical sales as well, but you close a store in a market that uh, not only do you lose the physical sales in that market, you, you know, you lose your online sales go go down as well. And so there's been no more effective, cost effective way to build brand awareness than a store. 
I mean, we all think that you, a lot of people think it's a constitutional right. Free shipping is a constitutional right. It's not. Somebody actually pays for that, you know? So, you know, to the extent that you can, uh, you have a store, you're building brand awareness, your, uh, your customer acquisition costs are so significant online, and you're able to use that store for multiple purposes. Now, the re retailers, have re that was one of the vestiges of the pandemic, was really learning to use those stores in multiple ways. That's why you've seen curbside pickup at Click and Collect really explode. And that just is so important to a retailer's profit margin, right? I've, I've, I've eliminated the shipping costs. I've encouraged the, the consumer, made it easier for the consumer to come to my store. And so I use that as a, as a fulfillment center. Of course, if I can get into the store, they may actually convert into additional sales as well. So that is, a, I think, a, a really, really uh, important story around uh, the importance of physical retail. Totally. All right, Tom, this has been awesome. I guess last question. Are there any trends or insights or anything you're thinking about hearing that we haven't talked about that might be interesting for the listener as it relates to retail, the physical store, holiday shopping, any of it? Well, I think there's a lot of things. I mean, we touched upon a lot of stuff. I do think that, you know, if you think about um, the conversation we just had, which is, you know, kind of the convergence, the om the real omni-channel world that we've talked about for years is really coming to fruition. And that's going to have a lot of implications for retail going forward. You know, store configuration uh, will evolve. Um, and so the, the way a store is configured will evolve. Parking lot configuration will evolve as a result, right? Curbside pickup, click on you want you want the consumer to be able to get in and out really quickly. So I think you're going to see a whole host of things happen on that front. And one and that's on the positive side. On the negative side, one of the biggest issues we have to deal with as an industry, both from a public advocacy standpoint, a public awareness standpoint, at the local and the federal level is, is organized retail crime as well. And so I think you're going to, you know, you have seen a lot of attention placed upon that issue. And I think you're going to continue to see um, a whole lot of uh, emphasis placed upon that issue. That's probably a whole nother conversation we could have at some other point in time around uh, things that need to happen to, you know, address that issue in a more effective way. Yeah. That organized crime is certainly a whole other topic and, uh, it is a challenging one, no doubt. And I'm going to take you up on that. And we should talk about that maybe in the new year. We'll, uh, we'll sure. set something up. Awesome. You got it. All right, Tom, really appreciate you coming on. Uh, you should some really good insights. Love the stats. I have really fun questions for you. Are you ready? Okay. Sure. Okay. Shoot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Question one, what extinct retailer do you wish would come back from the dead? Oh boy. Um, well, I, my very first job, um, was at uh, Kmart. And so, uh, I would have to say Kmart because, uh, there's just a emotional connection there. My, I was in charge of rows 11 through 24 at the Kmart store in La Puente, California, the city of industry, which is right next door to where I grew up, La Puente, California. So I have a, a emotional connection uh, to Kmart because I worked there for many, many years. Amazing. Kmart. Uh, you know, 
hundreds of guests that have come on. I don't think anyone said Kmart number one. Well, they probably so, didn't. Yeah. They didn't have the emotional connection that I had. So, <laughs> and, and what aisles were was it eleven to what? Eleven to twenty-four. It was all the household goods, you know, paper towels, all etiquette, cleaning solution, all that kind of stuff. I was, I, I would. Those were the best. Those shelves were always fronted, Chris. They were always fronted. <laughs> That's, yeah, amazing. I love it. Great answer. Okay, question two. What is the last item over twenty dollars that you bought in the store? Uh, definitely running shoes. So I'm a, I'm a. Uh, I just did a, I'm a triathlete. I just did a triathlon in Atlantic city about a month ago. And so, uh, I bought a new pair of, of running shoes cause I wear them out pretty quickly. So running shoes, pair of Saucony running shoes. Got it. What store? It was a running store, uh, in Baskin Ridge, New Jersey. Um, a local running store. Very cool. Okay. Last question, Tom. If you and I were shopping at Target mm. and I lost you, what aisle would I find you in? Definitely the electronics, probably around the TVs because, uh, you know, I, I first of all, I love television. Uh, and second of all, if there was any type of, if I was shopping, I would probably be at the same time thinking about whatever game was going on and I'd want to know what the score of the game was. So I'd probably be, I'd always make a point of meandering around uh, televisions and so forth to see what's going on in a football game, a basketball game, a baseball game, a golf tournament, whatever's going on. So probably you could find me over at electronics where TVs are being sold. Fantastic. Bob, this has been wonderful. I really appreciate it. Um, thanks for doing this and uh, look forward to seeing you at New York ICS. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for listening to Retail Retold. If you want to share a story about a retail real estate deal that you were a part of on our show, please reach out to us at retailretold at dlcmgmt.com. This show highlights the stories behind the deals from all perspectives. So it doesn't matter if you are a retailer, broker, entrepreneur, architect, or an attorney. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Retail Retold so you don't miss out on next Thursday's episode.